This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. December 3rd, 2021, we knew the date, now we know the teams. The commissioner, Nick Sakevich, stops by to let us know how we finally got it. And while Dan Arestia doesn't consider himself an insider, we're going to put him to the test. It's All-Star Weekend in the PLL, plus a whole lot more, right here on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? Why Dylan Ward? I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! Jenner at gmail.com. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about things. Anything is up for discussion. Currently, sitting at my window watching a horse-drawn carriage go by. And as always in Victoria, when it's summer, the horses pull the tourists and the locals get mad because they don't think horse-drawn carriages should be a thing anymore. But I'm happy. Sun's out. Playing lacrosse again. Here talking to you. We got a busy one. A busy, busy show for you this week. The National Cross League finally announces the opening face-off weekend schedule and matchups. And we got some good ones. Let me tell you, we have some beauties. It'll all start December 3rd in San Diego. Mammoth seals in a West conference matchup and easily one of the best new rivalries in the national lacrosse league. and that all stems from how the San Diego franchise started and the instant connection that the two organizations had Steve Govett helped build the Colorado franchise was the architect of the whole thing And then he gets an offer he can't refuse and a chance to do it all over again. So he takes his right-hand man, Josh Gross, and helps, along with Mr. Josiah and a whole lot of other people, start that San Diego franchise. Uh, During the offseason, they pick up a guy like Cam Holding, who was obviously a longtime member of the Colorado Mammoth. And it just kind of instantly started that rivalry. And then in the next season, Jeremy Noble becomes a SEAL. Zach Greer becomes a SEAL. And, the, you know, the, the storylines continue to build. And San Diego has Colorado's number. Ironically. Colorado just can't figure them out. And on December 3rd, they will renew that rivalry inside Pechanga Arena in what I truly hope will be a jam-packed arena i can't wait i've had the opportunity to call one game inside pachanga uh it was the last game inside pachanga for the seals it was the last weekend of the national lacrosse league and i had a blast the fans were fantastic i cannot wait to get back down there again to be a part of all of that action and that energy and the sunshine and the waters I never really got to experience San Diego when I went down there because I was literally there less than 48 hours, like 30 hours. Flew in, 
Friday afternoon, called the game the next night, and then was out by 6 a.m. on a flight to Colorado, mm-hmm. along with the Rochester Nighthawks, who were playing the Mammoth the next day at an afternoon game on a Sunday in Denver, and that was the last game before the stoppage. It has been a while, folks. I hope you are all as excited as we all are, um, as broadcasters, analysts, writers, bloggers, vloggers, whatever. We are completely amped for this, and I know you all are too. So let's break it down. We just talked Mammoth Seals December 3rd. Then on Saturday, you get Roughnecks at Bandits, a rematch of some epic, epic games, including the last National Lacrosse League Championship final. Calgary, still technically your reigning defending world champs. Philadelphia at Georgia. New York hosting Rochester. Saskatchewan at Halifax in what should be a absolutely jam-packed nest. Plus a rematch of the greatest game uh, of the last season. That epic overtime where they had two or three goals called back. And then you have the newly relocated Albany Firewolves taking on the Toronto Rock in Hamilton. Also newly relocated. So... Some very intriguing matchups, and, you know, we can start looking forward to these games, and we can start planning for the tailgate parties, and we can start getting our outfits ready. We can do everything. We just, we just got to wait like five months. It's, that's the only crappy part. Yes, we're all excited that we have this weekend to look forward to. But it's still five months away. We still got to get through the rest of July, which is a couple more weeks. Teams are currently still signing their own players as we speak. And there have been a lot of them. Then we got to get through free agency. Then we got to go to the draft at the end of the month of August. Then we got to wait till like November, October maybe, for training camps to start. And then finally we will get to opening weekend. I am so excited. Plus, we'll also be broadcasting the game on TSN. One of the games on that opening weekend. It's going to be between either the Rush and Thunderbirds or Firewolves and Rock. That is huge. All the games will be also streamed on the back end of the TSN.ca website and the TSN app. Make sure you get it, especially for those of you up in Canada. And we'll ask the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, about what's going on with an American streaming deal. I'll let you know it's coming soon, but let's not get the cart in front of the horse. We got a lot to talk about with the commissioner. He has been crisscrossing the continent in meetings, having conversations, taking in events. Well, actually, probably hasn't been taking in events because there's been no events happening except NLL events. But he has been very busy, and he's still got a lot to get to. We'll try and get as much out of him as we can as we all look forward to the NLL face-off weekend. He is the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, Nick Sakevich, right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Nick, how are you, sir? Good, Teddy. Good to be here, as always. Yeah, it's been a, been a while since we chatted. We've all been kind of tucked in our corners during the hiatus of the pandemic. Um, you've been a very busy man as of late. You've been in Dallas-Fort Worth. You've been in Las Vegas. You've been traveling around North America trying to get the National Cross League back up and running. And on Wednesday, the league announced the official opening weekend, December 3rd and December 4th, the slate of games. Uh, how busy have you actually been over the last 18 months? I'm busier than ever, uh, Teddy. It's, um, you know, we're five months away or a little less than five months away from returning the league to play after what will be a 20-month um, time span of not playing. And it's really, it feels like we're launching a whole new league all over again, despite the fact that we've been around 35, 34, 35 years. And, and it's really a platform year for the NLL. We had 
obviously great momentum when everything came to a halt and we were growing and building and, you know, really a great trajectory, but that delay and that stoppage of play has really put us in a position now where we're back to, we're really back to square one and have a, an opportunity to relaunch the league and in a new refreshed way. And you guys are doing that uh, in spades. Obviously, a TV deal in Canada is huge. An announcement for an American broadcasting deal is coming in the near future. Um, but let, let's start, you know, a little ways back. What's been the biggest hurdle for the National Crossing to get to this point and, and, and getting to December 3rd? Well, as you can imagine, most of the last 12 months or more than that have been spent trying to figure out how to get a playoff in, how to get a bubble in, how to get multiple bubbles in, how to potentially get a, a short season in in the spring. And, you know, you all know what the history of that is. is like we mm. couldn't find a way to do it. And the uniqueness of the NLL is that 70% of our athletes come from Canada. And it's been a huge, huge challenge. So most of our, our time and efforts have been spent there. Load on top of that a sale of our New England team and relocation to Albany, a sale of our Saskatchewan team uh, to a great new ownership group and two new expansion teams that occupied an enormous amount of time during that 12 months. Um, Yeah, we haven't had a whole lot of time for planning uh, a new season in December, but since we we, um, canceled the season officially back in February, we've been all hands on deck. Uh, I'm building, building our sponsorship platform, negotiating new TV deals. You saw the TSN announcement. That's very exciting. That's going to be a historic, broad uh, distribution of NLL across Canada, coast to coast. And um, we're working on something similar in the U.S. Um, we also have uh, made a big announcement in Las Vegas with Joe Tai and Wayne Gretzky and Dustin Johnson and Steve Nash welcoming them to our league. And uh, since that announcement over the last three weeks, we've had a lot of interest in Team 16. So, yeah, lots going on, to say the least. Um, Team 16 is obviously something that everyone kind of has their eye on. Uh, have we gotten to a short list, or is, is the, the, the want for that 16th team just that big that we're not quite there yet? Well, no, we, we, have, a, we have a fairly short list. I mean, if you consider – about a ten about ten communities a short list um, mm-hmm. and a lot of interest in those markets um, and but we're gonna we're gonna take our time we're gonna be very strategic and thoughtful we're gonna do the work and do the due diligence and do the analytics and do what we always do when we identify a expansion market and identify owners and go through the process so nothing changes. Uh, I have no time frame for expansion announcement. I have no, like, it's down to two cities type of thing to share with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to go through the normal process that we've been going through the last few years, and we're going to do it right. Is the plan sort of still to get to 16 teams and kind of hold off on the expansion after that and let kind of things hold, hold fast? I don't, I don't see that, Teddy. Um, there, there's a lot of um, what they call dry powder ready to be invested on the sidelines, and a lot of it wants to go into sports and entertainment. Um, sports and entertainment is a very, very reliable business to invest in, and there's a lot of interest out there. I think we'll be expanding pretty regularly for the next decade to 15 years if I was a betting man because – there's just a lot of interest in it. The, the key for the National Lacrosse League is to make sure that the, the cadence of those teams coming in and the sequencing of those teams is done in a strategic way, as is location, as is selection of who the owners are, as is the arena deals. All of that has to be properly done and vetted. Um, and that, that's the important part. And then, you know, of course – making sure we maximize what the franchise value is going to be. You know, the sale of the Saskatchewan Rush set a new all-time record of a valuation for an NL franchise. 
And so that's the benchmark now. And, and we've got to just be really smart and strategic how we add teams to the league and at what price we add them. The TSN deal is obviously massive for Canadian lacrosse fans. Um, how did those negotiations go? Obviously, you were there. Joel Feld was there. Um, Jessica would have been involved in these meetings with TSN. Was it fairly fluid, or were there some roadblocks? Um, no, I, I think it was it was pretty normal. And, you know, it's like everything we do here, we, it's a team effort, um, and there's a lot of people involved in analyzing and negotiating and having conversations. And I think the, the best thing that happened with us and our relationship with TSN was we went through the process of trying to do the bubble in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, ultimately that didn't happen for reasons unrelated to our conversations with TSN. But during those conversations, we learned a lot with them. I think they learned a lot about our league that it, it's not, not the same league that they were a part of years ago and it's a it's a league going in a different direction and that was really helpful for us and and we learned a lot about them and what they're trying to achieve and I think it was a it was pretty it was a very good normal no roadblocks it was Mm -hmm. a good collaboration so it was a good first it was a good first deal with TS. yeah would you say the same sort of ease is happening with an American deal or is it a little bit tougher it's a little bit tougher. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, more competition in the States. Mm-hmm. There's more leagues. There's, there's, um, uh, what, how should I put it? It's, um, it's more complicated. It's more sophisticated and there's just more content to keep compete with, uh, at some of these broadcasters. And we also, there's also a limited number of distribution outlets that, there, I shouldn't say there's one. There's lots of them. There's there's lots of OTT channels. There's lots of changes in the broadcast landscape here. But where we want the NLL to be in this next stage, which is this is our second stage TV deal, mm-hmm. um, the the uh, selection of distributors that we want to target the NLL to be on is is small. Uh, it's a, it's a small universe and. And we want to make sure we, we make the very best deal that we can with the very best partner. When can American fans maybe expect an announcement? Is this something that's still ongoing or, or is something maybe coming in the near future? Oh, it's definitely in the near future. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would, it's hard to handicap. It's, it's weeks. It's not months. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're getting close and, we just got to keep our uh, we got to keep our focus on getting to the finish line, and uh, and that's what we're doing. It's front and center every day. You mentioned the the announcements in in Fort Worth and in Vegas with Greg Bibb and his group, and Joe Sy and his group, plus the Mandalay Mandalay people. How impressed have you been with these new ownership groups, even the the, the Pearsoners or sorry, the Prosers in Saskatchewan? Um, how impressed have you been with these new owners that are on board and the seriousness that they're taking the National Cross League as their, you know, one of their main commodities now? Well, it's nice to see some of our teams um, are bringing on some sophisticated sports operators. Uh, Philadelphia Wings hired a new president. Um, the Las Vegas team hired a fantastic uh, president and Mark Fine. Um, Mark uh, Zummerin is the new president in Philadelphia. Greg Bibb is a pretty established organization, but he just hired a chief strategy officer um, who we're onboarding next week, I think. Um, fantastic resume, great background. So it's, it's really nice to see. It reminds me, again, deja vu of MLS back in the early 2000s when teams started to really recruit and attract um, sophisticated high-level sports operators. You know, we got Albany hired George Manius as their president up there, and you could just see the results already. Um, And then some of our existing teams like Calgary, who have such a a well-trained and experienced staff, 
they're killing it with season tickets right now. They've, they've gone on sale and their reports are coming in and they're just crushing it. So it's great to see. And it's not, look, it's not, it's not rocket science. When you have really good people that know what they're doing, that are motivated and trained, things happen. We mentioned the opening weekend announcement was made on Wednesday. Um, this is obviously a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel for lacrosse fans, uh, but it also came with uh, a new alignment. Uh, we're going back to east-west. Is it, was that just a, a number thing and just the easiest thing to do as we're at 14 teams right now? It was the, it was, it was the easiest thing and, and the most logical thing to do to make sure that the integrity of the competition was maintained, which is always the most important thing, is that we've got to make sure our competition is authentic and, and isn't, uh, isn't made up or isn't uh, gerrymandered. So it was, a, it was the obvious choice, and I think we're going to have a great competition this year with that format and the expanded playoff format. Um, really excited to get back to playing lacrosse, Teddy. It's uh, more than more than anyone can stand being without the game for as long as we've been without the game. I hear that. Testify that, my friend. Um, obviously, with a new team, we're you know, are, are we going to see more games this year? Do you think is is that been finalized yet? Yeah, no. It's it's an eighteen game format, nine home, nine away, and then of course you saw the playoff format in the announcement and that's um yeah we're not we're not contemplating additional games this year Uh, obviously uh the state of the world is slowly slowly getting back to normal but for our 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 indigenous brothers and sisters there's still a lot of heartache and pain with uh, the discovery of these unmarked burials at former residential schools and things like that and and there's just a lot of outreach going on for these families. Um, what is the National Cross League doing to partner with our Indigenous players to continue to bring awareness to everything that's going on? Well, as you know, Teddy, we we not only have uh, them at the forefront of our minds, the stories unfolding are beyond heartbreaking. Um, beyond heartbreaking. And we... Uh, we cry every day for, for what, what happened there and that awful, awful history. And we are, uh, we are engaged, um, at multiple levels. Um, you know, we, the morning star, which is the indigenous symbol for hope and guidance sits at the center of our logo. And it reminds us every day of hope and guidance. And we are trying to help guide people through these horrific reports. Um, help guide ourselves through these horrific reports and bring comfort through different strategies and different initiatives and our social channels and our outreach and engagement content. Um, we're doing everything that we can to, um, to heal some of that. But boy, I, I tell you, the discovery of, of what's happened up there is just, I don't know, I have any I have any words to describe it. It uh you know, I'm I'm a I'm a first generation American from Polish immigrants who escaped Poland from Nazi extermination and it hits really close to home for me. Um, you know, I heard the stories around the dinner table growing up and I'm sure those families of those indigenous folks um are hearing those same stories and it's just it's awful. Absolutely, it is. It is something that nobody ever wants to hear, but it is unfortunately a dark reality of of what has gone down in the past. And I know the league is doing everything they can to continue to share that message of of, of hope and of life and of happiness of what we can be if we all stick together as a big one, big giant family. Um, last question for you. Obviously, uh, the players are at the forefront of this. Um, how have the conversations been going with the PLPA and working towards? you know, coming up the training camp and the draft and, and the start of the season? Well, it's not the PLPA anymore. It's the NLPA. Oh, sorry, yeah. And, NLPA, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, really excited about that name change. And we talk with um, with the NLPA representatives every week um, and uh, great conversations and great dialogue and they're in the know on everything that we're doing and it's 
it's really been refreshing. Uh, Jessica leads the negotiations on a new long-term uh, contract with them, and and she meets with them regularly. And and but but the conversations with uh, Zach and Reed have been have been refreshing. Um, they're they're definitely professionalizing the players' association much the way the league. Uh, was professionalized over the last five years and we still have work to do. Uh, we're never satisfied, uh, with how we are professionalizing the league and always want to get better. Um, but Reed and Zach and the group, um, that they have leading the new NLLPA is, uh, doing a great job. And, and we're really, uh, we're really grateful for their partnership and, and how they're approaching things in a very thoughtful, strategic manner. The next time you and I will talk, we'll probably be at Buffalo in the draft for the draft. Uh, is there anything else happening that weekend that you can let fans know of? Um, there's a lot happening. Not that I'm prepared to talk about right now. <laughs> so, I thought I might but, get it out uh, of here, but okay, I get it. I get but, it. Yeah, but stay tuned. But listen, this is what I'll say. I'll say fans should listen to your show because – you never know what's going to come out next. We have a lot. We have a lot of announcements coming. We have a lot of things to accomplish between now and December third, and and they should uh, they should stay tuned to all the NLL channels and and your show, Teddy. Uh, you do a great job of of uh, providing behind the scenes stuff to the fans, and really appreciate that. So, uh, I guess the message to the fan is just like, hey, pay attention, <laughs> pay attention, because we're coming. We're coming in five months or less. Nick, I appreciate it always, my friend. Uh, stay safe, and I'll see you in Buffalo. All right, great. See you in Buffalo, Teddy. Thanks. There is the commissioner, Nick Sakevich. And he wouldn't divulge any information of what else would be going on in Buffalo that weekend. But there is an announcement coming soon. So stay tuned. Keep your ears to your stereos and your eyes to your computer screens because there'll be some news. Um... I thought it was interesting him talking about the fact that they don't really plan to slow down expansion as sort of originally we all kind of thought they would. And maybe that was just me. Maybe that wasn't the plan all along. Maybe I misheard him in a couple years ago when he was talking about expansion. But I always sort of thought the plan was to get to 16 and just kind of chill out for a bit and let everybody get some stabilization let the youth grow into the league, allow for these fan bases to really connect with a lot of their players instead of having to, you know, lose somebody or two guys each and every year. But it sounds like they really do plan to just keep this expansion train rolling. And I want to be cautious about it because if you you know if you're a longtime lacrosse fan you'll remember the mid early 2000s when we quickly bloomed to 13 teams and we quickly just as quickly dropped back to like nine and we lost franchises like Ottawa and Arizona and Anaheim Chicago Minnesota Columbus Montreal. We just have to be very careful. And credit to Nick and his staff and the people, you know, the Board of Governors who are, you know, a big part of the expansion plan and process because they have to okay everything. And they have to be a part of all of those discussions. Credit to them because the ownership groups that they have allowed in and brought in the, you know, the new Albany group with Oliver Marty, the Priestner group in Saskatchewan, like Nick talked about. Mr. Joe Sy, the, the, the Calgary Flames group, you know, when you can bring in that type of ownership. And don't let me discredit Greg Bibb, I just his name blank there for a second, but Greg Bibb, from all accounts and purposes, he is a fantastic owner. But all these people that they're bringing in are wanting to do it right and understand that it's going to be a process. 
And I think that is very important going forward because in the past, it was just people trying to fill dates, earn a quick buck, and next thing you know, they were losing money because they didn't market right. They didn't plan right. They were only given, you know, six to eight months to really launch a franchise where now teams are getting, you know, 12 to 16 month runways. So everything we've been doing leading up to where we are has been great in the last five years. And a lot of that credit, all that credit goes to Nick, his people, the board of governors. You also have to give a lot of credit to the players for putting on an absolute showcase every time they go on the floor. But we just have to be aware of the player pool possibly shallowing if we go too big too quick. But knowing what is going on in the Canadian Junior Leagues, the new, you know, real cross-country collegiate box league in the United States, there is a ton of future in our youth. And the talent is getting better with each passing day. We can all agree on that. It's just a matter of getting them all up to NLL, true NLL speed quick enough. And I think we are doing that properly. Or get at least getting there. But the fact that, you know, he wants to, you know, bring Vegas in next year for Team 15. Um, team 16 will eventually come down the road. And then there's no stopping. And we're moving on to 17, 18 and, and keep on going. It will be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, I have very high hopes that we are on an incredible trajectory for growth and success. I'm just cautious because I saw what happened last time we tried to do this. And with Vegas coming in next year, that puts us to eight East, seven West for 15 teams. And we're, we're almost at true balance when we get to 16. When we get to 15, I don't think we go three, five team divisions. We could. But I think they'll just stick with East and West. And then when we get to 16, who knows what they do. But for now, we are at eight and six, eight East, six West with Fort Worth coming in. New playoff format is the top four teams in the East get a playoff spot. Top three teams in the West get a playoff spot. And then the best winning percentage between the fourth place Western team and the fifth place Eastern team will earn that wild card spot. First round will be a best of one. Semis and finals will be a best two of three. I know I've seen a lot of fans talk about why not just let four teams in from the West? And that's a very good question. And I wish I had thought of that and asked Nick that. But the possibility of the fact that there are fewer teams in the West, and if you took four, that would only mean, you know, four of six make it. You get those people who will say, well, then the regular season doesn't mean a whole lot because two-thirds of the team make the playoffs in that division. And they really bought that because you still have to battle every single night. And seating is important. Home floor advantage is important. So I think by adding this sort of pseudo wild card spot allows more teams to still compete for a playoff spot. Because now you have, you know, you're getting seven teams for eight spots out of 15 teams. Just Simple stuff, right? But then you have, what is that? Uh, eight teams battling for one playoff spot. Which creates a really cool dynamic. Because, you know, say in the East, you have Halifax, Philly, and say Buffalo running away with it. Hypothetically, don't get mad at me, fans. Hypothetically. Say those three teams are running away. Say Toronto's in there as that fourth team, and they're just running away with it. Instead of the other four Eastern teams just like, ugh, we got nothing to play for, we're out of it. They now still can compete for a spot in the West bracket 
and try and make it through that way. It keeps more teams in it longer if you have that sort of wild card spot. And when we add Vegas next year and they come into the Western Conference, maybe they just make it four and four that way. But for now, this was a great opportunity to allow more teams to compete for the playoffs longer because of the factor of that wild card position. And if, as we've seen in years past, some divisions, you know, when we were in f- groups of four, there were some divisions that were just powerhouses. When Toronto, Buffalo, and Rochester were just dominating that Eastern division. And there was no room for a young Philly team to sort of do anything. It was just that sort of dominance. Well, now you kind of pull them all together and it's every man for himself. So um, I look forward to it. New alignment, new playoff format. Uh, It's just going to cause and create a lot of excitement as the year goes along. Speaking of excitement, have you been watching the PLL? I'm sure those fans in the States that have Peacock and NBC SN have been watching it, but truly, how many Canadians are out there watching the PLL through the NBC Sports Gold website? Because if you're not watching it, is it just because you don't like field across or because you don't have time? Because if you don't have time, I get it. If you don't like field across, I don't really think you're truly paying attention to what is going on in the PLL because it is absolutely phenomenal lacrosse right now. When you take the field lacrosse league in general, the sport of field lacrosse, and you shrink everything, you make it faster. And that was one issue a lot of people had with the field lacrosse game. It was just that it was a little slow. It was kind of methodical like soccer, where you took your time, you balanced your attack, you could stop, reset, and go again. Well, now with the addition of a shot clock and the shortened field, it has allowed the field game to find that next gear of excitement, energy, and intensity. And I'm all for it. And the parody, as we all love to use in the world of sports, that the PLL has right now with, you know, Three of the top four teams at four and two, another team at four and three, a three and three team, two two and fours, and a two and five. Like nobody is out of this thing. And we're at the halfway mark. And everyone thought that the whips and archers were going to be as dominant as ever and just kind of run away with things. Well, the Redwoods, Water Dogs, and Atlas have thrown a wrench into all of that. The addition of Jeff Teat to the Atlas roster has just been barnstorming and we're going to talk to Dan Resty about this and there is a true possibility that Jeff Teat could come in late to the season and we're win not only rookie of the year but MVP honors as well the water dogs are now a barstool commodity and with the help of their owner Mr. Big Cat he's really sparked a fire under the water pups And then there are the Redwoods. Nat St. Laurent is creating a monster in the woods. And they've just picked up Kyle Hartzell to add to the forest. With Kyle Harrison playing, you know, the comeback season, final season, a great season. Plus what Miles Jones is doing. This is a team that is very scary. But much like we talked about when we were talking about the National Cross League, it's still not out of the picture for the teams like the Chrome, Chaos, and Cannons to kind of flip things around and make a charge late to grab a late wildcard playoff spot or a late playoff spot. The crazy thing is the Archers probably have the best attack line in the entire PLL and their goal differential is just one. They have been involved in some absolute shootouts this year. 18-16 to start the year against Atlas. 12-8 win over Chaos. A 17-8 win over the Dogs. But now they've lost three straight. 
8-7 to the Chrome, 15-14 to the Whips, and 13-12 to the Archers. It has been a very up-and-down, consistent year. Are teams starting to figure them out? Maybe. Is their defense getting a little tired? Maybe. But it will be very interesting to see how that team reacts after the All-Star break moving forward. Because everybody had them pegged as the top team in the league, and they still, by far, are one of the best teams in the league. They have just hit a very, very cold stretch. I don't think you can keep guys like Ament, Manny, Fields, Trey LeClaire, Tom Schreiber off the score sheet enough for them not to be effective. But we'll see what Dan Arestia has to say at all. He is from the lacrosse flash. He doesn't consider himself an insider, says it's not his job. But we'll try and get some inside information from him anyway. This is Dan Arestia right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Dan, how are you, brother? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Nice yeah, to we uh, we don't get to do this often, but uh, glad we could get a chance to catch up and chat some professional field lacrosse. Um, there is a designation between professional indoor and professional field lacrosse. Just thought I'd get that out there. But we are all professionals here at what we do, so uh, glad you could give us some time. Uh, the PLL is in their all-star break. Uh, they are sending two teams to San Jose to celebrate the game and see who can shoot the fastest and hardest and all that weird stuff that they do at all-star games. Um, but in an overview, what did you think of the first half of the season? Uh, I thought the first half has been, I think it's been great. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's become more, more of a talking point in recent weeks, but this, uh, this level of parity and this anybody can beat anybody kind of, kind of thing that's emerged, especially in recent weeks, has made it like incredibly exciting. I think early on, um, it was easy to, to, to look at the whip snakes in particular and be like, they rolled in the bubble. They probably got a little bit better in the off season. Oh my God, they're gonna just run away with it again. Um, but that hasn't happened. I think the archers have been great. Um, you know, I, I think the water dogs was a team I was really high on coming out of the off season. And I think they're, they're putting it together in recent weeks. So, um, you know, it, the, the first half has been, has been really, really good. Um, you know, I, it's, it's tough to get a handle on the success from a, from a tickets point of view. I haven't been to a, I haven't been to a PLL weekend yet myself. I haven't had the opportunity to go. Um, but you know, it seems like the Baltimore weekend did really well. Um, and so there were some other, you know, successful weekends in terms of, you know, people in the stands. And I know, um, you know, it, it recently for one of their weekends, they released some, some pretty solid, um, streaming numbers so you know you would hope that stuff is is matching the the level of play on the field i think from you know not that i'm an outsider but from an outsider's perspective i i think the talent and the level of playing on the field has been outstanding and we look at some of the new blood that's being injected into the pll this year i think the future for the pl game just continues to grow yeah absolutely i think and and one thing that's been so great about it has been that, that those new faces have come from, from two different avenues, right? You have, you have Jeff Teat, who's emerging as a superstar, you know, Jake Carraway, T.D. Erlin, a lot of guys in this rookie class who are, who are becoming stars early on in their careers in their own right. But then you also have, thanks to the PLL-MLL merger, you have new faces like Dylan Ward, who are coming and making a name for themselves, you know, Dan Beccaro, Liam Burns. You know, Graham Hasek has been unbelievable. He's playing at a defensive player at a year level. Um, so you're getting guys like that too. And it's really cool to get them from, you know, like I said, there are guys with, with pro experience. There are guys fresh out of college. There are, you know, both are, are embracing the roles that they have in the PLL and, and running with them. So yeah, the, the new life and along with, again, with a new team as well with the Cannons, um, you know, making it over as part of that merger. Um, it's been great. You know, that, that level of growth is, is fun to see from a, from a, somebody who wants this sport to succeed at a high level professionally. And also just from the everyday fan who just gets another team full of guys that, you know, they love and they get one league to go watch them now. Uh, you didn't even mention Lyle Thompson's name and everybody yeah, was, was yeah, right. <laughs> and everybody was raging about him coming over to the PLL and how it was finally time for Lyle to be on the biggest stage. And 
I'm sure Lyle would admit he hasn't gotten off to the hottest of starts, but do you think there's been pressure on him with that, you know, coming over and, and finally being in the PLL? Do you think there was a bit of pressure on him to, to be the be all and end all for the cannons? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I don't think that's any pressure maybe that he's not already used to. Like he's, right, he's yeah. been carrying around the, the best in the world label for a number of years. Uh, you know, there are people who say it's Schreiber. There are people who say it's, it's Lyle. There's, you know, a couple other names in there. I think, you know, Lyle, if he's, if he's not, if he's not the best in the world, he's at worst the second best player in the world. He's yeah. a, a transcendent talent. And he's been that way for, for a long time. You know, this, Past uh, summer with the Bayhawks, I think there's there's pressure on him to, number one, lead that team, hopefully to playoff success. And number two, as you know, last summer with the, the league still being split apart, to be somebody who's going to, you know, frankly put asses in seats, put mm-hmm. eyeballs on screens, right? You want, he's, he's a guy who's going to draw people to your product. So I think that's something that's been part of his, his lacrosse life now you know, probably since he was in Albany, even, yeah. um, where, you know, he, it, the pressure is going to be on you to, to deliver, to deliver us to where we need to go. We need you to take us there. So um, is there pressure on him? I'd say absolutely. But I don't think it's something that he's never dealt with before. Uh, after this weekend, is it safe to say he's back, though? <laughs> is he back? I don't know. Did they put a tweet on the screen that said, is Lyle back yet? You know, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I mean, yeah, I think uh, after after his virtuoso performance against the Archers, I think you could say, yeah, Lyle's back. Um, you mentioned Jeff Teat's name, and he's only played three games. And, you know, we're not going to say he was struggling in his first game. It was his first game in almost two years. Um, but he has been everything we've expected uh, and more since he's gotten his feet wet and comfortable in the Premier Lacrosse League. What's the ceiling for Jeff Teat? Uh, the ceiling for Jeff T is, is the MVP of the league. I don't think that's too far away. Um, is, is, you know, a, a cornerstone player for a franchise. I think he's probably already that, um, you know, it's, there's, there's not a whole lot left in terms of like the professional landscape that he can accomplish other than being the MVP of the league. He's probably going to win rookie of the year at this point. If he keeps up where he's at, um, you said he's, he missed a few games early cause he wasn't able to, to, to travel. Um, so he's, he's got like, you know, the, the only knock on him really is, well, he couldn't play the first few games yeah. and then his first game in, it's like, all right, he didn't have seven points or whatever. Is that really like a, a huge knock on Jeff T? Probably not. Um, but yeah, you know, he had, his first game was, was not the Jeff T that we saw in the game since then. But, you know, I was, I was talking about this with, with some other guys, um, last night that, you know, the, the rookie class, with the exception of TD Erlen, um, and maybe even for TD, but first games for these rookies, and, and maybe first game and a half for some of them, are, are all across the board almost kind of kind of rough. Like, yeah. I remember watching Danny Logan's first time out and being like, I don't know if this guy's gonna, gonna be all right. And he is definitely more than all right. Like, he's, he's been outstanding for the Atlas. The same even with with Tarafenko, it's like, all right, I pictured this two-way monster. He's doing okay on the defensive end. Maybe that's where he'll settle in and, and he'll be a productive pro. But no, he is the two-way monster that we thought he would be. It just takes these guys a little bit of time. It's a it's a big leap from college to pro. And if you're Jeff Teat, it's a really big leap when you haven't played lacrosse competitively on, on the field in, like you said, a couple of years. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think Teat will wind up He'll, I would imagine he might even get MVP votes this year, depending on what the Atlas do. Yeah. If, the, if the Atlas wind up, you know, sweeping their way to a one seed to end the season, which is, I think, a reasonable thing that could happen. They have a pretty pretty favorable three games left. And then, you know, if they're playing for the title even and Jeff Teed is the guy taking them there, I think he probably winds up getting some MVP, po- MVP votes this year. Who would be ahead of him at the halfway point right now? I, I would take Grant Amon ahead of him, I think. I think Grant Amon is the leader at this point. Um, you know, I, I think Rob Pinnell had had like a, a, a tough game or two in there, but um, coming out of the gate, I thought Rob Pinnell was looking like he was in MVP form. And then in recent weeks, he's, he's back in that form again. So I would take Grant, I think. I would take Rob um, as, as guys there. You know, guys like Rambo and Zed are, are going to be – knocked out of the conversation by virtue of the fact that they're missing some time with injury or they're not a hundred percent. But, you know, for, for now, I'd, I'd, I'd probably have Teat in the top, yeah, you know, top three, top five in the league for MVP voting. 
uh, you mentioned Grant Amon, and he is just, I'm trying to think of a guy that has the innate ability to throw skip passes. Like everyone calls it a Shriberian skip pass, but like we got to find a word that describes what Grant Ament does when he throws to a spot and has Will Manny run five yards onto a pass that goes through six sticks. Like, how do you explain what he's been able to do in the last year and a half since he's got into the pro game? I mean, even back to his college days, like he was, his passing game is phenomenal right now. Yeah, it's unreal. It's, it's honestly, it's, there are times where I'm like, it's Mahomes-esque. Like yep. I see, I think Pat Mahomes is a decent comp because once in a while you get this highlight where Pat Mahomes is looking to his right and then he throws the ball to a spot to his left and Travis Kelsey runs under it and it's yeah. like a 30 yard gain or whatever. Like that's, I, I see that sometimes when I watch Grant Amon highlights. Um, but you know, he's, he's been able to, to feed so well. Number one, his, the, the crew of guys he was feeding to in college um, are, are something you would, you would dream about if you're a distributor first kind of player, right? He's throwing passes to guys like, you know, like O'Keefe, like Kelly, like Dylan Folds, like that TJ Malone, like that offense was so stacked with players that benefited really from him being there and played to his strength as much as he played to theirs. And so basically what, what happens is they take that, like that concept for Grant Ammon, and then they give everybody on it the Captain America super soldier serum, and that's the <laughs> Archer's offense now, right? Now, instead of those guys, it's Will Manny and Marcus Holman and Connor Fields and Tom Schreiber. You know, Ryan McNamara has been great. Like, it's it's everybody from that Penn State offense just magnified 10x. And right. so, you know, it's, it's transition for him isn't all that rough because he gets to do a lot of the same things and play a lot of the same ways. And, and those guys are doing a lot of the same things that he was used to his teammates doing at Penn state. So he gets to keep doing what he loves to do, which is just carve people up with his eyes and these flick passes that look like they're, you know, like, like they're effortless, but they're just hummed through defenses and, you know, missing sticks by millimeters, but landing right where they need to be. So yeah, he's uh, he's fun to watch. You got to get cameras at all angles when he's playing, so you can get one like the one we got of of that pass to Will Manny. Because when that happens, oof, it's, it's beautiful. Um, what's been your biggest surprise in the opening half of the season? Whether it be a player, a team, a game, uh, what sort of stood out to you the most? You know, I I think um, I think Paul Rabel's play is is surprising in that, you know, I, I was not on the Rabel is washed and should hang it up wagon. There were, that, that was a crowded wagon last summer, but I was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't on that. Um, I thought he had basically the worst shooting summer of his, of his career last year. And, but otherwise when I watched the games, I'm like, look, he, he can separate. He can get his hands free. He's having an awful shooting year, but he's getting his own shot. Like, kind of when he wants to. So, you know, he, he can, he can bounce back, but the way his role has adapted in that cannons offense to, you know, we talked about Lyle's game against the archers. Rabel's role in that game was basically just go pick for Lyle. Like yeah. crazy. Like he picked for Lyle every time down, he's picking to try and get Lyle some space. And that is not, you know, the Rabel that we've watched play throughout his pro career. He's a, like a dynamic midfield Dodger who can run by people who can score from two, who can do all those, those individual amazing plays to see him change to this more of a off ball kind of role and a, a, you know, a two man game pick for Lyle kind of role, especially this past week, I think, um, I think was surprising. And then, you know, the other surprise for me has been, I guess, I don't know if it's a surprise more than it's just kind of like a bummer, but the Chrome, um, missing so many of their stars yeah. and so many of these guys that I really love to watch play uh, due to injury and, and things like that. That's been, um, it's, it's been a surprise for me that I, I don't get to watch, you know, Jordan Wolf and Randy Stotts play offense together this year. So, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd call that a surprise for sure. Yeah. Is the all-star game going to be uh, your regular all-star game? Are these guys going to ball out? I hope they ball out. You know, we saw the injury report come out today, and there's a there's a good amount of guys on that all on on listed as out that are that are all stars, and that's you know that's unfortunate. A lot of them were starters too, um, and you know the starters are the guys that the fans picked. So the mm-hmm. you know you you want those guys in particular to be on the field because the fans put you there, and that's that's they're telling you I want to see you do all star game exhibition game kind of stuff, right? 
I want to see the behind the back passes in transition, the around the world shots. I want to see all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that some of those guys are going to be out or, or, or hurt and not able to do that. But the group that's out there is still really, really good. And I, you know, I hope, I hope they ball out. It's not like, um, it's not like the NBA where you can just, the guys just stand there and play no defense. And yeah. it's just, it's just a dunk contest or a three chucking contest. The defensemen that are out there, they won't just stand there with their hands on their hips and let you run by them. Like they're still going to play defense. Yeah. So you're going to get lacrosse played. Um, you know, will it, will it be at a hundred percent and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dump shooters. If I'm sliding, like I'm, I'm coming at you hard. I'm trying to put you on the ground. Maybe not, but they're going to play defense and they're going to get up and down in transition and guys are going to want to let shots go and, you know, hopefully talk to each other a little bit and do some of the stuff that, uh, that we like to see them do, you know, in, in summer when they're on, when they're on YouTube making videos or whatever, that yeah. kind of stuff. We want to see the, the razzle dazzle a little bit. So hopefully we get some of that, but I think it'll be fun. Like the all-star games for me are always fun. Yeah. I like the the aspect that because there was a draft, you know, Grant Amon took all of his archers and, and blaze took a bunch of the, you know, he, he took the chaos guys and stuff like that, but there's some redwoods on both teams here. And I think right. that's a pretty cool dynamic. You know, the, the Chrome didn't have anybody go, um but the fact that the woods have guys on both teams um we might see some guys go head to head against each other yeah that'll be fun yeah i, th- I think the chrome actually are going to wind up with somebody because i think i think hecock is going to fill in for one of these uh okay. one of these injured players so chrome will have somebody there which is good you gotta have you know it's like baseball makes sure every every team is represented we get somebody there for everybody so i, th- I think hecock is going in, in place of an injured player but yeah, the split there. When I first saw the teams picked, it was like all these team logos that all matched on, on either side. But the Redwoods were in both places. I was like, okay, that's good. That'll be fun. Um, you know, and I also thought it was interesting while Grant was picking, he picked basically, you know, his his, his first pick was, was Schreiber. And then he took his attack line mates. He yeah, took Manning yeah. and Holman. And then it gets back to him. Pinnell's on the board. And he's like, now – I can't pick another attackman. Like you can <laughs> tell how much he wanted to pick Rob yeah. Pinnell to play with him too. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think those guys playing together would have been fun, but you know, I, I a hundred percent on board with Amon's plan of I'll just take the archers offense first and then I'll take the best. <laughs> yeah. of the play. Uh, so the second half is going to be a, a very short one um, before we even get in the playoffs. Do we see a major shift? Do we, is, is, is the run of the whips over or are they going to get healthy and, and be able to pull this together? Yeah. You know, I think for them, it's, can you, can you get healthy? Can you get Rambo back? Can you get, you know, Earhart is now out of, of the all-star break, but he was out last week. And I, I think, you know, for teams like the whips where you're trying to get healthy, this is, this is a good time to rest those guys who are, who are banged up because you'll have Earhart who didn't play this weekend, this past weekend. He won't play on the all-star game. And then there's a, an empty week right. and then they're in Colorado. So it's a lot of time to get healthy, but another dynamic to that is, and I had talked to players about this in year one is, is guys who were like that, where you've been hurt or guys who are not necessarily an every week dress guy. There's a chance where if you're not an all-star and you didn't get picked for the lineup last week, and maybe you don't even get picked in Colorado. Like you might be going like six weeks between games right. and it's tough. It's tough as a, as a player to stay in rhythm, to stay in the flow with the guys who are the regulars on the team and build sort of that, that not necessarily build chemistry because you have that, but you know, that on field sort of trust and understanding that comes with regularly playing together. So I think teams that can maintain that through this long break will have an advantage. And then, like you said, there's only a couple weeks left. So, you know, we, we have Colorado and Albany, and then we're in the playoffs. So um, I think teams are going to be in a hurry to, if, if you have any moves to make, you know, you, you, it's, it's getting to be like, make them now, but you can't be shuffling your roster a whole lot after, after this week because you're not going to have time to get these guys acclimated to your system if they haven't been with you all year and time to really make a difference. Put you on the spot here to end it. Who wins this whole thing? Who wins the title? Yeah. If I'm going, it's see, like it's really tough right now. I think I would take the Archers today. I think I would take the Archers today. I like uh, I like where they're at, of course, on offense, where you know they're they're unbelievable. I know they just dropped to the to the cannons. They were going to be like, well, they just lost to a last place team. Well, in order for that to happen, we had to have the the straight up statistical miracle of 
Marcus Holman, Will Manny, and Tom Schreiber all miss good looks yeah. within a minute of each other at the end of the game. That's not going to happen too many times. So, um, you know, I, I think the archers are still really, really good. I think Hasek is playing, like I had said earlier, like defensive player of the year. I don't know if there's been a better pick out of the entry draft than him in terms of fitting for their team right now. And that includes Lyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, McMahon has been great. I think that team down low is, is really improved. Gettleman, I think, is having a goalie of the year caliber season. I think he's been outstanding. Um, you know, if, if, if Bones Kelly can, can stay in the lineup and everything, I know he got off, he was off this past week because they took, uh, just to take a look at Connor Gaffney, but if they can get some success out of him and when, he, when they run into the, the Joan Ardellas of the world, they can, they can keep it tight and they can, you know, mix it up a little bit with their wings with guys like Ratliff. Um, the Archers are definitely good enough, not just to beat anybody, but I think they can blow out anybody. Dan, it's been awesome, buddy. I appreciate it. You are our insider of everything PLL. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the All-Star game and uh, enjoy the second half of the season, my man. Yeah, you too, man. I can't wait to see some games. Enjoy. There is Dan Arestia from the Lacrosse Flash talking all things Premier Lacrosse. Um, just as I sit here, uh, the Redwoods treating out or tweeting out that uh, you can get some of their one of their jerseys, uh, limited edition Redwoods jerseys, customizable and or regular jerseys. Um, hit up their Twitter account, PLL Redwoods. Um, but the cool thing is that PLL Assists which is um, a program that they use harnessing the power of lacrosse to build more inclusive, empathetic, and healthy communities, have said that for every jersey purchased, they're going to donate a tree. How cool is that? Especially on the West Coast with all the wildfires that are going on during the summertime, replanting the forests with a tree for every jersey purchased. I like that. That's good stuff right there from PLL Assists. Um, It was great stuff. From Dan Arestia as well. He thinks that if the Atlas can get to the finals and that it is Jeff Teat who is the one orchestrating it, that there is a very good chance that he could win not only Rookie of the Year but MVP as well. And how unreal would that be? After taking almost two years off from playing lacrosse to coming back out, having a bit of a slow first game, and then absolutely torching the league and lead his team to the PLL Cup, that would be unreal. That would be a storybook ending for the last two years of Jeff Teat's life. And then to take that and walk right into his first year with the New York Riptide, man, this kid is going to be something. And... He's proving any doubters wrong if he had any doubters. And I don't really think they were. I think there were people just out there trolling, saying they were doubters, saying, you know, he shouldn't have been the first pick. Gross take. Get it out of here. But I do like what Dan said about the fact that the Archers are his kind of his favorite to win. I, I, I do, too. I just think that attack group is too good. That front five um, is too good. Tom Schreiber is ridiculous when he's on his game. I love the Mahomes comparison to Grant Amen. Um, if you can find the tweet uh, of that pass that he makes to a cutting Manny, when he throws it, you don't even see Will Manny in the frame. And then as the ball goes past sticks and through a gap, Will Manny just all of a sudden shows up. And the ball's right there. On a dime, in stride. It is ridiculous. It's one of the sickest passes I have ever seen. And that is just the ability of Grant Amen. I don't know if I have seen a better passer of the ball in a long time. He reminds me of Josh Sanderson. He really does. Shooter just had this innate ability to know where a guy would be in four steps and be able to put the ball there. And to do that in a box is one thing. To do that outdoors where the space is that much bigger and there's just so much going on, to be able to throw a 20-yard pass on a diagonal dime through sticks, through bodies is crazy. 
Then you got the year that Graham Hossick is having on the back end for the Archers. He's leading that defense along with Warren Jeffrey, mind you. Um, that is a scary, scary group back there with Matt McMahon, Jackson Place, and Jack Rapine. I, I really like what the Archers can do. If they can kind of just figure out this last three game inconsistency and, and just find that final nail in the coffin that they had in the first three games, I think the Archers really pull this one out and get their first PLL championship. Uh, we talked about some of the NLL signings that have been going on in the last little while. There have been quite a bit. Um, even today on July 15th, Calgary gives Liam McClare a one-year deal. Uh, James Barkley gets a one-year deal with Halifax. Scott Dominate a one-year deal with the Riptide. Uh, Nighthawks signed Doug Utting, Dan Mickle, Cam Milligan, and Tyler Biles to two-year deals. Tyson Bomberry, one-year deal with San Diego and Vancouver have placed James Rahe on the protected player list. Um, head over to NLL.com slash news slash transactions. Um, and you can see all of the signings that have been going on um, over the last few weeks. Uh, for those of you that see um, with some players that they have been qualified as per Section 7.14A2 of the CBA, that just means that they were given their qualifying offers. That's They just have to have it done by a certain time. Um, and so if you're looking through that uh, and you see, you know, there's one for Randy Stotts. Uh, there's one for Taylor Stewart and Matt Hosick as well. So if you see that for any of the players, that just means that they've received their qualifying offers as specified in the league's CBA. That'll about do it. Um, it's awesome that there is junior lacrosse going on in BC. The Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League is getting set to start their little mini bubble-ish season. Uh, we hope to have the Commissioner Mark Grimes on the show in the coming weeks to kind of just talk about everything that they're doing. And who knows who else will show up on this show. There's a lot going on in the world of lacrosse and a lot of great stories to tell. And as we get closer and closer to the season, we'll have a lot more to talk about as well. Uh, thanks to the Commissioner Nick Sikevich. Big thanks to Dan Arestia. And as always, a massive thanks to you, the fan, for sticking around and listening to me ramble and talk about this great game of lacrosse for the last hour and a bit. Don't forget, you can get a hold of me at Off the Crossbar on Twitter or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Until we speak again, enjoy the games when you can get them. Have a great time watching the PLL All-Star Game. Enjoy the sunshine. Stay safe. And as always, be excellent to each other. I am an outball.